song about the love of God and our union with Jesus Christ. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Titus chapter 3. And if you're just joining us, we are making our way through the five trustworthy saying statements from the pastoral epistles, which are First and Second Timothy and Titus. And this is the last in our series on these trustworthy sayings. We're using these trustworthy sayings to help us think about life in the church. And so, we find ourselves today in Titus chapter 3. And I'll read the whole chapter. We'll look mostly at verses uh, 1 through 11, but briefly also at verse 14. Remember, Paul is writing to Titus, who is a young church planter on the Isle of Crete. And this is what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them, those in the church, Christians, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for all people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they're unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, and he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that, you, see that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. The Bible says of itself that the grass withers, the flower fades, that the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. God, we come to you now thankful for the privilege to read your word and to sing your praises and to confess our sins and to give and to profess our faith. And now we come to that time of the service where we open your word and we pray that you would use your word by Holy Spirit to transform and change us more and more from one degree of glory into the image of Jesus, our Savior. Help us, strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Careful, careful. You've been to uh, a nice store with your family, you've got little kids, and we've all given them that talk before we walk in. Don't touch anything and that always works right Um, or the movers are taking your favorite piece of furniture out to the truck 
your grandmother's uh, china cabinet, and what do you say? Please be careful with that. Please be careful with that. We're careful about our personal information. We're careful when we hold a baby. We're careful when we help an elderly friend or family member up the steps into the front porch of our church. We know about uh, careful, but as we wrap up our trustworthy sayings from Paul's epistles, the pastoral epistles, this theme has developed, and we've seen it. It's union with Christ. We've seen union with Christ's salvation, union with Christ's service, union with Christ's godliness, union with Christ's mission, and today we see that we can pursue good works because we are united to Jesus Christ. And the trustworthy saying from Titus chapter 3 is actually a pretty long one. Most uh, scholars believe that it, it's the words that come before the statement in verse 8 about a trustworthy saying, beginning in verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being heirs by His grace we might become so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's a mouthful, but it is a powerful, trustworthy statement. Our union with Christ not only shapes the way we think and what we believe, but it also shapes how we live. And I want us to key off of chapter 3, verse 8b. We get the point, we get the trajectory of this trustworthy saying this faithful word if since because this is true then we must be careful look at verse 8 to devote ourselves to good works and this fits hand in glove with union with christ godliness and union with christ mission we're called to be committed to good works because we're united to jesus Christ. And so as we begin, here's the question that I have for us. What are you careful about? What are you careful about? Are you careful about following your favorite team? Are you careful about seeing what the market did this week or how your investments are going? Are you careful about current events? Are you careful about um, collecting your favorite things? Are you careful about carving out time for yourself? And, and all those things aren't bad, but are you careful about devoting yourself to good works? Are we ready for every good work? My prayer is that through this passage and our study of the Psalms of Ascent the rest of this summer, that we would be reminded and reshaped by the power of God in His gospel, that we would learn more and more to be meticulous, ready, diligent, mindful, vigilant, on guard, careful, devoted for good works, to do good works, because we're committed to Christ, and more importantly, because Christ is committed to us. So let's look at the passage together and see uh, what the Lord has for us. The first thing I want us to see is in verses 1 and 2, and I want to talk about your posture. Some of you need to sit up and put your shoulders back. No, just kidding. Uh, I'm not talking about our physical posture like your grandmother tells you to, to watch. I'm talking about this, our disposition, our attitude toward the people and the place and the culture 
in which we live. Here's the thing. Union with Christ impacts, it informs, it instructs how we conduct ourselves, our posture toward this world. Notice what it says in verse 1. Remind them. They already know this. This isn't new information. It isn't new information for the Christians in Crete. It's not new information for us. But since we live as pilgrims and aliens and strangers in this world, and since it's so easy to become jaded and cynical and at the same time comfortable and complacent, remind them of these things. First of all, our union of Christ impacts our posture toward rulers. Look at verse 1. Be submissive and obedient to rulers and authorities. This is a command about how we interact with the government. Rulers and authorities. How do we know that? Well, because there is a parallel, a clear parallel in language and message to Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to government authorities. 1 Peter 2, verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. What did Jesus say? Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's. And submission to authority is a clear part of the New Testament Christian ethic. That's the rule, that's the norm, and there are exceptions. You remember from Acts chapter 4, Peter and John had been arrested for preaching the gospel, and the authorities told him, don't preach about Jesus anymore. And this is what Peter said, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. We cannot speak but what we have seen and heard. But remember, this is the exception, not the rule. What if we live in a pagan government, in a pagan culture? Well, Rome is about as pagan as it gets So, our union with Christ impacts our posture toward rulers. It also impacts our posture toward outsiders. Look at verses 1 and specifically verse 2. Speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle, show perfect courtesy, complete courtesy toward all people. The the shift goes from government specifically to non-believers generally. Union with Christ shapes the way... It shapes our posture toward outsiders. We are called to speak the truth in love in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, on account of me, people will hate you. We have to stand to, for, and on the truth of God. Full stop. And how we do it matters. We don't have a hall pass to be angry, hurtful, combative, degrading, demeaning, humanizing people, dehumanizing people with whom we disagree. The way of God's kingdom is not fight fire with fire, but to treat others with dignity and gentleness as image bearers of God, even when, especially when, they revile us and persecute us. How is this possible? It's because we're united to Jesus Christ. It shapes our posture toward opportunity as well. Notice what it says at the end of verse 1. Be obedient to rulers and authorities, ready for every good work. Be submissive, treat people with dignity. Why? 
so that you may be ready, set up, staged for every good work. Now, I don't know all the details of this law, but there is a law in the state of Colorado that if you have, maybe if you don't have four-wheel drive, you don't have big tires, you have to carry snow chains in the trunk of your car. So that if you get caught in a storm, you will be ready. And what this passage is saying to us is that we need to be ready, always ready, staged, set up to do good works. You see the power that we see here. It's, we're staged for good works. That's our posture because we're united with Jesus Christ. And if this section gives you heartburn or if it causes you to bristle or, or to bow up, I want you to ask yourself why. And remember, this is an issue of the lordship of Jesus Christ. And remember, there are plenty of issues and areas in our lives where Christianity is challenging and contradicting and confronting the way that we want to live. Don't repay evil for evil. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse Pursue rigorous honesty and sexual purity. And this is one more area, whether we like the way things are going or not, where we're called to submit to God. And we need help. This is hard. We need supernatural grace and strength and repentance and humility. Lord, help us to be guided and transformed to live by kingdom principles because we're united to Christ. Help our posture toward this world. The passage goes on beyond that first section to talk about the power. It talks about power. It's almost as if Paul hears and and he anticipates objections and complaints. You don't understand how hard it is to live in this culture with these people. It's almost like he says, noted. But remember where you came from. Remember what it was like. Remember what salvation was all about. And so, The power of the gospel is laid out here in Titus chapter 3. And he begins by saying what it was like. Remember what it was like. Look at verse 3. I love this. How does he begin? For we ourselves. I love that Paul isn't like, you know, you people, you remember what you were like? No, he says, for we ourselves, what? Were once. These are the things that used to define and shape and describe our lives. We were once what? Foolish. And when you read foolish in the Bible, don't think about, it's not saying somebody's just like a knucklehead. Uh, it's, It's a description of someone who doesn't believe in God. Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 highlight this. The fool says in his heart what? That there is no God. And so that's one of the things that what our lives were like. We thought we were in charge. We, we were foolish. We didn't need God. And what does that lead to? Disobedience. I do what I want. Our lives are marked by unbelief and pride and disobedience toward God and others. Look at the passage. It says that we were led astray. We, we were taken away, easily tricked and duped down pathways of destruction. Look also at verse 3. Slaves, 
the various passions and pleasures. Once we were led astray, we didn't come to our senses and run back to safety. We became enslaved to passions and pleasures. And whatever the idols are or were in your life, power, sex, escape, comfort, control, what do we know? Those things are never enough. They're never enough, are they? We just need a little bit more next time. And the thing that we thought brought us freedom tightened the ropes of enslavement on us more and more. Enslaved to various passions and pleasures, passing our days. You know, there's a difference between living and existing. What this says is passing our days. Passing our days in what malice? How can I hurt and take advantage of those people and envy? I wish I had what they had. If I had that, I would be happy. Hated by others, that makes sense. When you use and abuse and take advantage and steal and lie, that's not the way to make friends and influence people. And hating each other. If it weren't for these people, I wouldn't be in this mess. You know, it's, it's your fault that I'm in all this trouble. You see that kind of lifestyle, hated by others and hating one another. That's what it was like, and Paul knew exactly what this was. Look at verse 4, one of the most important words in the Bible, but... The story doesn't end in verse 3, but, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Titus 2.11, just a few verses earlier. When the grace of God has appeared, when Jesus came into the world, He embodied the goodness of God. He was the epitome of loving kindness, of God's covenant love, His hesed love, never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. And when that love appeared in this world, in Jesus Christ, everything changed. What did Jesus do? But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. What did He do? Verse 5, He saved us. He rescued, redeemed, bought us with a price. His life for our life. His death instead of our death. How? Because of our incredible spiritual resume? Because He had to have us on our team because we're such assets to God? No. Not by works done by us in righteousness, Brothers and sisters, Christianity is not about your works outweighing your mistakes. Christianity is not about our works, but we are justified through the work of Jesus Christ. According to what? His mercy, not getting judgment or the alienation that we deserve. Verse 5 also talks about the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The word regeneration means new birth. Born again. When we come to Christ, it's because Holy Spirit opens our eyes and breathes life into our dead souls. We're transferred from death to life. And the image of washing is so powerful. Cleansing. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 6? There's a 
passage that highlights all these things, all these sins that disqualify us from the kingdom. And then these wonderful words, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. The same idea is true here. By Holy Spirit, we're not only born again and washed and forgiven and cleansed, we're renewed. We're set on a new pathway, a new identity, a new nature strengthened by grace to serve and love God. Notice what verse 6 says, that Holy Spirit is poured out on us barely, no, richly, extravagantly, not sparingly, through Jesus Christ, so that being justified by grace, justified is an important word in the Bible, it's an act of God's free grace whereby all our sins are pardoned, forgiven, and the righteousness of Christ is credited to us only by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.21 explains justification. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him so that we can be heirs. Verse 7. Adopted sons and daughters into the family. We've been written into God's will and we have a hope for eternity. What does this mean for us? First of all, it means don't forget who you were. Do not forget who you were. Looking back should not produce self-righteous judgment toward others. And it also should not produce tons of shame, but it should produce gratitude and humility and empathy and compassion and gospel motivation to move toward people with good works and mercy and the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Don't forget who you are. Dear ones who believe in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven sinners, yet we struggle daily with sin. Even though we've been accepted by God, we carry guilt and shame, and so we have this continuing obligation and calling to believe the gospel, that we really are accepted in the beloved, renewed, justified, sanctified by Jesus the scars and wounds of sin run deep in us. But the healing power of the gospel runs deeper. Don't forget who you are. Believe the gospel and repent. Remember the first of Luther's 95 theses when God said repent? He meant that all of life is repentance. And we all feel that drift back. It's possible for us to drift back to our old way of life, back into sin, back into the foolish, disobedient, led astray enslavement. And these words from Isaiah 30 mean so much for us. For for thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, and in quietness and trust shall be your strength, but you were unwilling. Sisters and brothers, Don't be unwilling to repent. I know sometimes the shame of sin and the fear of what others might think keeps us in hiding. But the glory of the gospel is that we can come back to the Lord and find life and strength and joy in repentance. So there's power in the gospel. There's power in our union with Christ. 
my old boss uh, for probably about 10 or 11 years when I did campus ministry was named Bebo. Great name, Bebo. And uh, one time Bebo picked up a hitchhiker. Now, I'm not saying that you should do this, but I'm just telling you this story. He picked up this young man on the side of the road, and he got in and thanked him for giving him a ride. And then this young man began to tell, just brag about all the things he had done and all the places he had gone and all the people he had done them with. And then he said, what do you do? And, and Bebo said, well, I'm, I'm uh, over a, a large campus ministry throughout Mississippi and Louisiana. And then the guy said, oh, man, yeah, I love the Lord. And uh, I love going to church and all this stuff, you know. So at first it was... You know, here's a, here are all the things that I've done. And then, well, I love the Lord. And, and my boss said, son, sounds to me like you're lying in what you're saying or in how you're living. That you don't really believe the gospel or that you are a Christian and you're running away from God and you need to repent. There's power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a trustworthy statement. There's also a point. Look at verse 8. Our union with Christ shapes our posture. It reminds us of the power of, the God, of, of God and the gospel. But there's also a point and trajectory. Not just acceptance and forgiveness and peace and eternal life. We all know that we've been blessed to be a blessing. Since all this is true, this trustworthy saying, insist on this, verse 8, that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are profitable and excellent for people. Dear ones, one of our greatest callings in life is to be committed, devoted, careful to practice good works. Yes, in obedience to God, in godliness. Yes, toward our sisters and brothers in Christ. But the broader context here in Titus is about doing good works toward outsiders. We all know that undeserved acts of kindness and service toward people who are hurting, toward people who haven't earned it, toward people who can't pay it back, that has always been part of the bread and butter of God's mission and the Christian life. We have not been rescued and delivered and redeemed and washed and renewed and justified so that we can live easy, comfortable lives on cruise control. We need to be like a guard in the guardhouse looking for the enemy coming or the prisoners trying to escape, always watching the horizon. But instead, we're looking for opportunities to do good work or be like a watchdog. They hear something, <gasps> the ears go up, ready. Are we in tune to the needs of other people? And is, are we ready like our dog when they hear a noise? How can I do something good for other people? I think if we're honest here, we have to admit that we have work to do. We aren't careful. We aren't devoted to good works like we should. And the answer isn't try harder, do better, 
The power comes from union with Christ. We have to tap into the power source. We must remember this trustworthy saying. We insist on it. We make our stand. We do not budge on the glory of the gospel so that those who believe are careful to devote themselves to good works. That's why we connect with ministries like Miracle Hill and Overcomers, Renewal, Switch, Piedmont Women's Center. It's why we look for ways to serve Rudolph Gordon and Fountain Inn High How can we as a church move toward people in this community with grace and love and mercy? How can you move toward your neighbors, your co-workers, your classmates, your teammates, ready, devoted to good works? I know for me, there are many days where I'm more committed and devoted to my comfort and my security and my rights than sacrificially serving others and doing good works. And really, this is a gospel issue. It's that we don't understand and appropriate and remember and insist upon the magnitude and glory of God's grace for us. And notice verses 9 through 11. Here's a distraction. Away from being carefully devoted to good works, one distraction is when people have foolish controversies over genealogies and dissensions and quarrels about the law. They're unprofitable and worthless. We've all known people or churches who just want to fight, who just want to argue, who major on the minors and minor on the majors. Don't get caught up in that. It's worthless. It's unprofitable. It diverts and deflects from the point. And Paul goes further. He says, confront those people, and after two or three times, don't give them the time of day. They will suck the life out of you. They are warped and sinful and self-condemned. Instead, be lifelong learners. Old dogs, good news, brothers and sisters, old dogs can learn new tricks. One of the joys of being human is learning and experiencing new things. One of the keys to combat The effects of aging is to keep using and exercise our minds and our bodies. And the same reality is true in the Christian life. We're on a journey with King Jesus to heaven. We have opportunities daily to trust and learn and grow along the way. Look at verse 14. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. We can learn this. We can continue to learn. Do you need to grow in your posture toward submitting to the government or towards others? Do you need work on how to speak and act toward other people, especially with whom you disagree? Do you need to be more careful and committed to good works? Join the club. As we repent, as we confess, as we uh, commit, we have to camp out and post up and anchor down here. This is a trustworthy saying. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, so that being justified by grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This trustworthy saying is special, not just for us. It's also 
special for me. Because this is the passage that God chose to use to draw me to himself in 1990. You know those songs that are earworms, you can't get them out of your head? This is one for me. At the Southern Baptist Founders Youth Conference in Panama City, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Could it be true? Is it possible? That God could save a rebellious, arrogant, sinful punk like me. He was after me. And those words turned over and over and over in my heart and in my mind until I was caught and arrested by the incredible love of Jesus Christ. When we get that, when we come back to that and insist on that, God will lead us forward in union with Christ, salvation and service and godliness and mission and good works. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your amazing grace. I thank you that our salvation and our everlasting hope and eternity is not based on how well we've done on the test, whether we've ticked the boxes or kept the rules, because Lord, we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. But you sent your Son who saved us according to His mercy and justified us by grace and has made us heirs according to the promise with a hope for the future. And so we rejoice and give thanks and praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen.